reference I'm using today is Romans 12, 9 to 12. <laughs> Before I dive into this is really, really feels weird preaching to an empty building. <laughs> it's, it's odd. Okay, <laughs> I, have, I do have two people, three people here uh, with me, uh, but it's, it's good. To, <laughs> it's different for sure. So anyways, Romans, Romans uh, 12, 9 to 12, and I took this from the voice translation. It says, love others well and don't hide behind a mask. Love authentically. Despise evil. Oh, that's kind of ironic too, isn't it? <laughs> I just got it. Well, in the, unless you're in COVID lockdown, then use a mask. But anyways, love authentically. Despise evil. Pursue what is good as if your life depends on it. Live in true devotion to one another. Loving each other as sisters and brothers. Be first to honor others by putting them first. Do not slack in your faithfulness and hard work. Let your spirit be on fire, bubbling up and boiling over as you serve the Lord. Do not forget to rejoice, for hope is always just around the corner. Hold up through the hard times that are coming and devote yourselves to prayer. <clears throat> so as we go through this this morning, I have five points. I know this could be, this verse, this passage of scripture could be like 15 points, but we have five points for this morning's message. And the first one is to love others well. Not only are we called to love each other, but in John chapter 15, verse 13, it says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. So what's this say? I mean, I have to die for people? I have to love them and maybe die for them? Well, apparently so if we take the Bible at its word. Our world wants love to be spontaneous and driven by feeling, but Jesus knows our deeper need. We know we ought to love when we don't feel like it because we want others to, to love us when we're unlovable. In Jesus, we find both the supreme model for loving and the supreme resource. He commands us to love, but he also help us, helps us to accomplish this command of loving others. Jesus knew that if we would practice love, then the feelings of love would follow naturally. If we waited to be motivated by affection for others, we would never love others. We need to be treating others with honor and respect, even when we don't feel like they deserve it. If we understand how deeply we are actually loved by God in spite of all of our sin, we will be pushed in the direction of loving others well. Those who do not realize God's love for them find it difficult to love others. I'll be the first to admit that uh, some people are very hard to love, right? But I also have to admit that I believe it's my selfishness that is keeping me from really loving them. It's going to take work to love the difficult people, and sometimes I just really don't feel like putting in the effort, if I'm going to be honest. However, Jesus told us to love. And according to Romans 9 in the voice translation, we are not only to love, but to love others well. If we go to Matthew 5, 43 to 48, it says, You have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Some translations, some manuscripts of the Bible uh, says, bless, uh, says, bless those who curse you and, to, and do good to those that hate you. That's difficult sometimes. That's difficult. It goes on to say, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your, as your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to the, both the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and unjust alike. If you, allow, if, you only, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? 
even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And this word perfect here means complete and mature. This word describes something that lacks nothing and has come to complete maturity in a, in a particular area. Also in my concordance here, it, uh, it, um, it wove this in with the, with the word morality as well. And when applied to morality, it means not lacking any moral quality and that each moral quality is fully developed. John Maxwell says in his book, Think on These Things, that Jesus not only taught this message of loving others, but he also lived it out. And Jesus experienced misunderstanding, ingratitude, and rejection, but he was never bitter, discouraged, or overcome. So how are you doing in that area? He goes on to give us three points when we are tempted to react in an unchristian manner. Number one, he says, realize that everyone you meet might be fighting a hard battle just like you are. Their, may, their, their life may be no easier than ours is right now, especially during COVID. Reacting in a positive, reassuring manner will produce better results. That was his second point. Now, I have to admit that I, I really fail here often. I, I tend to let my emotions get the best of me, and I tend to overreact at times. I'm working on this, but if I go by this definition, I'm obviously lacking maturity in this, in this area. And his third point was, there's a better way to witness for Christ than by your Christian reactions. He mentions that the fruit of the Spirit talked about in Galatians is not just to be displayed by us during the easy times. And he then gives this example, and I love it. He said, if someone is hungry and becomes irritable towards you, give him or her a piece of bread and butter. That's showing kindness. However, but at the same time, why not spread a little jam on it? That's showing loving kindness. I love that example. So God showed his love to us in such a massive way by sending his son. Should we not try to model this love by living like Jesus' example? We probably should. So our first point was to love others well. And just as a side note, this first part of love others well means without hypocrisy and to be genuine in our love for others. Point two is to despise evil and pursue what is good. And Paul adds here, as if your life depends on it. So we should probably pay a little bit of attention to this. Psalm 97.10 says, Let those who love the Lord hate evil, for he guards the lives of his faithful ones and delivers them from the hand of the wicked. These are some strong words. Despise. It means to feel contempt or deep repugnance for something. Other words used are hate, loathe, and detest. But aren't we supposed to love others? Aren't we supposed to love? A.W. Tozer uh, says a little bit of something about this, and I'm going to quote him here. First, he quotes Job 27.6, which says, I will maintain my innocence without wavering. My conscience is clear for as long as I live. And then he goes on to say this, the way to spiritual power and favor with God is to be willing to put away the weak compromises and the tempting evils to which we are prone to cling. Putting away the compromises and the tempting there is no Christian victory or blessing if we refuse to turn away from the things that God hates. Even if your wife loves it, turn away from it. Even if your husband loves it, turn away from it. Even if it is accepted by the whole social class and system of which you are a part, 
turn away from it. Even if something that has come to be accepted by our, our whole generation as normal, as acceptable, turn away from it if it is evil and wrong and offensive to our holy and righteous Savior. We need to turn away from it. Every Christian holds the key to his or her own spiritual attainment. If he or she will not pay the price of being joyful, led by the Holy Spirit of God, if he or she, he or she refuses to hate sin and evil and wrong, Tozer says this, our churches might as well be turned into lodges and clubs. <laughs> now there's obviously a lot morally wrong in our world today, and I could list and list and list stuff but just to name a few, if we look, Jesus' name is a common curse word by many. There's 40 to 50 million abortions performed each year. That's 125,000 a day. In our supposedly enlightened society, racism is still running rampant. Liberal-leaning groups vilify Christians as intolerant and bigots. And according to Gallup polls, church attendance is on the decline in North America. They quote, I'm quoting them here, Gallup Poll says, the rate of U.S. church membership has declined sharply in the past two decades after being relatively stable in the six decades before that. A sharp increase in the pop, a proportion of the population with no religious affiliation, a decline in church membership among those who have religious preference, and low levels of church membership among millennials are all contributing to this accelerating trend. Wherever we look, it seems that what is spoken about in Romans 3 is all around us today. And it says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follows them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. It's a sad commentary on today's society in a lot of cases and in a lot of areas. Oh, how we as a creation must grieve the heart of a loving God. So how do we, as believers, carry on? Our final three points, I think, give us a roadmap. Point three is stay faithful. Stay faithful. Matthew 5, 14 says, You are the light of the world, the city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. The attractive qualities of us, disciples of Jesus, our lives will draw people to live similarly and glorify God. But we're called to be that example and that light, especially during these dark times. <clears throat> Isaiah 2 says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above other hills, and people from all over the world will stream there to worship. People from many nations will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. And Isaiah 42 6 says, I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. So, church, are we demonstrating, demonstrating God's righteousness? So, says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Wherever you see this word faith and staying faithful, hope is usually tied to it. If you Google faith, it says complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And one of the related words is hope. 
So we need to stay the course. We have to have that complete trust and confidence in God. We have to hold out hope. So if we can display this faith or this hope and show it in all we do, how do you think that will appear to others? John Maxwell says this, the following, uh, says, Hope shines brightest in the darkest hours. Hope motivates when discouragement comes. Hope energizes when the body is tired. Hope sweetens when the bitterness bites. Hope believes when the evidence is eliminated. Hope sings when melodies are gone. Hope listens for answers when no one is talking. Hope climbs over obstacles when no one is helping. Hope endures hardships when no one is caring. Hope smiles confidently when no one is laughing. And hope dares to give when no one is winning. He goes on to say that there's nothing left to do but bury a person when his or her hopes are gone. Losing hope usually precedes loss of life. Church, we are to be the light, and there's a hopeless world out there that needs us now more than ever. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we can affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. The Aramaic from that verse can be translated, Faithful is the one who sent us this message of hope. So stay faithful, keep hope. Point three. Point four, we need to stay on fire. Patrick Mabelog, probably said his name wrong, but Patrick, in an article he wrote, gives us four keys to staying on fire for God. But first he quotes 2 Timothy 4, 6-7. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So here are his four points quickly for staying on fire. Number one, stick to the basics. Communicate with God. We need to be taking time to spend with God on a daily basis, right? Pray without ceasing was what was a line that comes to memory here from the Bible, right? We need to be praying. We need to be in communication with our Heavenly Father. Number two, remain in fellowship, Pastor just talked about this in the introduction. Remain in fellowship with point two. When you remove a red hot coal from a fire, what happens? It cools down. The same thing will happen to us. We need the fellowship of other believers. Now, I know that's a tad more challenging these days with lockdowns and COVID restrictions, but we need to make an effort to fellowship. And whether that's a phone call, a text message, a video chat, do something to remain in fellowship. Number three, remember the joy of your salvation. Think back to that time when you first discovered Jesus and accepted him into your, into your life and the excitement you felt in that moment. Rekindle that fire. And number four, go back to your first love. Revelations 2.4 speaks of the first love that was abandoned so by... Ugh, let me talk, try that again. Revelations 2.4 speaks of the first love that has been abandoned so many times. Our first love is and will always be Jesus. What keeps us focused on Christ as our first love is the, this great reminder that it was he who loved us first, and our love from him now simply comes from a response to the greatest love we'll ever know. The last point, we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice. Verse 12 of our of our main scripture for today says do not for, do not forget to rejoice for hope is always around the corner 
hold up through the hard times that are coming and devote yourselves to prayer. I think we need to spend a little extra time on this final point during these times. <clears throat> we need to remember to rejoice. And rejoice actually means to feel or show great joy or delight. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Stay, says, always be joyful. How are you doing with the always be joyful part today, church? So joy is a state of delight and well-being that results from knowing and serving God. A number of Greek and Hebrew words are used to convey the ideas of joy and rejoicing. We have the same situation in English, English with such words as joy, happiness, pleasure, delight, and gladness. The word joy and rejoice are the words used most often to, to translate from the original Greek or Hebrew into English. Joy is found over 150 times in the Bible. If we add words like joyous and joyful, and we include those in the mix, the number comes to over 200. And the verb rejoice, that action word to rejoice, appears well over 200 times in the Bible. So maybe we should take some take some uh, advice from the scripture today and spend some time rejoicing. Joy is the fruit of a right relationship with God. It is not something people can create by their own efforts. And the Bible actually distinguishes joy from pleasure. Hear this, the Greek word for pleasure is the word from, from which we get the word hedonism, which is the philosophy of self-centered pleasure-seeking. Paul referred to the false teachers as lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in 2 Timothy. The Bible warns that self-indulgent pleasure-seeking does not lead to happiness and fulfillment. Ecclesiastes 2, 1-11 records the sad testimony of one who sought to build his life on pleasure-seeking. The search left him empty and disillusioned. And Proverbs 14, 13 offers insight into this way of life. It says, even in laughter, a heart may be sad. So there is a difference between rejoicing and having pleasure. Cares, riches, and pleasure rob us of the possibility of fruitful living. Luke 18, 14 talks about the seed that fell among the thorns, and it represents those who hear the message, the message of hope, this joyful message that we can rejoice in with our relationship with Jesus. Hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by their cares and riches and pleasures of this life. So they, grow, they, do not, they never grow in maturity. Pleasure-seeking often enslaves people in a vicious cycle of addiction. Titus 3.3 says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to so many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But here's the but. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sin, giving us new birth and new life through his Holy Spirit. And that's good news and cause to rejoice. The self-indulgent person, according to 1 Timothy 5, 6, is dead while seeming to still be alive. Many people think that God is this great killjoy and nothing could be a bigger lie. God himself knows joy and he wants his people to know joy. Psalm 104.31 speaks of God himself rejoicing in his creative works. Isaiah 65.18 speaks of God rejoicing over his redeemed people who, who to him are a joy. 
In Luke 15, as the most famous biblical reference for, to God's joy, the Pharisees and scribes had criticized Jesus for receiving sinners and eating with them, but Je then Jesus told three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and the explicit thing, the theme of these parables is joy over one sinner who repents and comes into relationship with Jesus. The joy of God comes to focus in human history in Jesus Christ. The note of joy and exultation runs through the entire biblical account of the coming of Christ. The most familiar passage is the angels' announcements of good tidings and great joy, which shall be to all people in Luke. Jesus spoke of his own joy and the full joy he had come to bring others in the book of John. He illustrated the kingdom of heaven by telling of the joy of a man who found treasure in Matthew. Zacchaeus, who was in a tree when Jesus called to him, but he quickly climbed down and received Jesus joyfully, and we hear that story in Luke. He had found life's ultimate treasure in Christ. So church, if we are supposed to be the light of the world, then we need to be the light. We need to live in a state of rejoicing, even when we aren't in the mood, even during COVID and lockdowns. Let's be the light. So how do we do it? I know I, this kind of leaves it open. How do we do what? Anything. <laughs> how do we do it? How do we live this Christian life and be successful, at it? be successful at it? Well, my thoughts are we love others well. We despise evil and pursue what is good. We stay faithful and hope-filled. We stay on fire. And we rejoice. And we rejoice. And church, if we can do those five things, we can do this life, and we can live it well. So I want to encourage you this morning to just do these five things. Spend some time with God. Keep rejoicing, right? Stay faithful. Stay on fire. If we can do these things, we can have a successful Christian life, and we can get through this COVID lockdown and all this other stuff that's going on in our world. All right? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take effort, but we can do it. So, Father God, I just want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for uh, bringing this, this scripture to mind and helping me to craft this message, Lord. And, and uh, Father, I just pray that every heart that hears it, every ear that hears it, Lord, will just experience you in a new and tangible way this morning uh, or whenever they, whenever they watch this, and that they will experience a, a great reminder that they can do this life as long as they stick close to you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching.